You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Before I say anything, I've got to apologize for my horrendous voice. I'm not sure what happened, but I woke up this morning. I got on a call at 8 a.m. with my team, and as soon as I said hello, they reacted in horror. That oh my gosh, no way! What is going on? And I have it no sounds, answers. It sounds horrible. Yeah, it's it not- sounds like I was at a heavy metal concert last night. <laughs> it was pretty bad. It sounds like it hurt. Does it hurt? It doesn't hurt. It just sounds terrible and it fluctuates. It's not consistently awful. That's what's more annoying, actually. No, that is annoying. Yeah. Um, so I've got a handful of uh, Ricolas that I'm, I'm munching. It. Yeah. Um, you remember whenever I got diagnosed with ADHD? I do. I do. Yeah, though, I didn't enjoy that experience. So, well, yeah. It's uh, it's one of those things that as a as a parent, you know, you're not quite sure, you know, what to do about stuff like that. And that was it was a long time ago. What do you mean stuff like that? You know, when 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 your kid get you know first kid get diagnosed with something, we don't know what to do. Yeah, but even back in the nineties, we didn't know what what to do. Here's what happened though. This is what frustrated me about the whole journey. I didn't get diagnosed. Frustrated. No, listen. I didn't get diagnosed with something. What happened was um, I, I wasn't paying attention in school to boring, awful, unhelpful topics in classroom subjects in environments that were not designed for young boys to excel in, being taught by teachers who didn't have the capacity to tailor that education to hyperactive young boys. And then the diagnose. Then we seek a solution. We seek a, or we seek the problem. We go, oh man. Well, that's all because um, Sanger has ADHD, and and that frustrated me because the solution was, and I don't blame you, and I don't blame um, I don't blame anyone. I think that everyone involved in the country at the time was acting with with the only information they had. But the solution was, oh well, let's put this young boy on medication. And so right away I was on, uh, was, it started with the lowest dose of Vyvanse, which is basically Adderall, but um, my understanding of the difference is that it doesn't release instantly. Right, so Vyvanse releases throughout the day. Adderall releases as soon as you take it. I think that's the difference. And so I started at the lowest dose and then, your body builds a resistance to that dose. And so you've got to increase it. And over time, you increase and increase and increase. And before I realize it, I'm at the highest dose. One of the side effects of that type of medication, that type of amphetamine, is it's an appetite suppressant. And so the doctor goes, okay, well, now you're taking this. Um, we've got to put you on other medication to counteract it. And then we've got to put you on other medication to counteract the side effect of that medication. And then now we've got to put you on other medication to counteract the side effect of the medication that we put you on to counteract the side effect of the medication that we put you on to counteract the side effect of the medication that we put you on to help you focus. 
from before I realized it, I was on taking five, six pills a day, whatever it was, all of which were designed to mitigate problems that I didn't have. What do you mean problems that you didn't have? So I had a really, really bad, I think, crooked psychiatrist who must have been getting kickbacks from the drug companies. Um, I go into the psychiatrist for the first time because, oh, hey, our son can't pay attention in science class. And a year later, I'm on the highest dose of Vyvanse, Abilify, which is a mood stabilizer, two other antidepressants, and lithium. Now, lithium is designed for schizophrenics and manic depressants, uh, neither of which I was diagnosed for. I've never had. I've never exhibited any symptoms of that. Um, so I was on really hardcore drugs. And what it did was it robbed me of all of the natural strengths that I had with ADHD. It robbed me of the ability to, to hyper-focus on something that I was interested in when I was in the correct environment to hyper-focus on it. It robbed me of a personality for several years. One of the things that that medication does is it 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 takes the poles, it takes the polarity out of your experiences through life emotionally. And so I only had one mode, and that was stoicism. Nothing could excite me, but nothing could depress me either. And so as a result, if nothing's exciting and nothing's joyful, you get apathetic, and, and apathy is just a, a depressing, depression adjacent, in my opinion. And so what happened was I'm taking all of these, these, these drugs, and I think that that experience was a, very similar to what a lot of kids my age had to deal with, where they were told that their inability to focus or their unwillingness to focus was, was in and of itself a problem. We didn't ask the question, what are we asking this person to focus on? We didn't ask the question, have we taught these children how to focus? Have we given them something for which their focus is warranted? We didn't ask any of those questions. And as a country, we sought easy solutions. And putting something in your mouth and swallowing it with water is about as easy as you can get. And so a lot of kids, I was a part of a generation of, of millions of young kids who were told to simply sit down in their chair, swallow a couple pills in the morning, and act like everyone else. And what I noticed about that period of my life is that it didn't improve the problem. It just created other problems. The only problem that it solved was the hyperactivity. It solved the high energy. I didn't have high energy anymore. But it didn't make me focus. <laughs> it didn't help me focus at all. And so later in life, I think I was 18, I just stopped taking all of it at once. I said, I'm done with all of it. I started exercising. I started eating better. I stopped drinking 12 Coca-Colas a day, which I found out the reason that I was drinking 12 Coca-Colas a day is because it gave me that energy rush. It gave me a dopamine hit injecting all that sugar into my bloodstream gave me the dopamine hit that I was missing naturally. So it was a form of self-medication that had a lot of negative side effects. Um, but once I stopped and I replaced all of that pharmaceuticals with exercise, with a healthy diet, I hardly had any problems 
focusing at all. Or they had any problem studying. Yeah, I, I, I think we learned a lot over the years, you know, and I, I, I have a lot of guilt around, you know, what happened with that medication because we didn't know we were young parents and, you know, trying to do the best we can. And um, I think, I think they're trying to figure some things out. But yeah, I, th- I think you've come upon better solutions. Obviously, you know the uh, the rituals that you follow, the the healthy eating, the you know the abstinence from uh, a lot of sugary foods and alcohol, and, and you know those types of things have all had a really super positive effect and allowed you to uh, really utilize that uh, the way your mind works to to optimize that. You know, just like you know, I mean, I, I think. It's fantastic. I, I don't think that you should feel guilty, and I don't bring it up to make you feel guilty in any way. It, it happened, and I'm thankful for it because without that experience, maybe I would have never understood that there was something that I could do on my own to, to help make things better for the way that I'm born. And, you know, if I didn't have that negative experience, maybe I wouldn't have found exercise. Maybe I wouldn't have found dieting. Maybe I wouldn't have found other things that I've done to help mitigate the negative impacts and amplify the strengths that ADHD gives. And so I'm, I'm so grateful because now I feel like I've found such a better way to handle things. Um, and today was really exciting because today we got to talk to a guest who is far and above, way more of an expert in this issue than me and has solved how to handle ADHD in his own life in a magnificent way. Today on the podcast, we talked to Peter Shankman. He's a five times best-selling author, entrepreneur, and keynote speaker. He's focused on customer service and the new and emerging market for the neuroatypical economy. He's had three startup launches and exits. He's recognized worldwide for radically new ways of thinking about the customer experience, social media, PR, marketing, advertising, ADHD, and the neurodiverse economy. I think you're going to learn a lot from listening to our conversation with Peter. If you have ADHD, you know someone who does, or maybe your son is just a little hyperactive brat, (laughs) then this podcast is for you. I'm Sanger Smith with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. Peter, I'm so excited to talk to someone who's not going to get frustrated with me uh, if I lose track. Not a problem at all. Story of my life. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm having a, a rough day with my voice. Um, the, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what happened, but I, I think my vocal cords got attacked by a miniature weasel in the night. Been there. Not a problem. <laughs> uh, Been there. I apologize to, to, the, to you guys having to listen to it. Um, just know that it's not as painful as me having to force these sounds out all good <laughs> you know, peter I, I was reading the uh the bio i saw that you uh do some skydiving and marathons and things like that singer's done a, a couple iron man yeah uh just finished those so uh, when did you uh when did you do your iron man did my first iron man 2010 second one 2014 i was supposed to do kona back in 2020 but COVID canceled that so they pushed to 21 COVID canceled that i'm supposed to i'm still on schedule to do kona for 22 but 
I don't know if I still have the desire to do it. I was, my goal was to get Conan done before 50. I turned 50 this coming August, though, so I'm not 100% sure if I want to do it. I will, uh, I'll make it more of a game-time decision. I raised uh, over 100 grand for Leukemia Lymphoma Society, so whether I do it or not, I raise the money. So uh, we'll see. That's cool. That's cool. You know, turning 50 is one of those things where you, you feel like you need to do something big. I, I When I turned 50, I went uh, and hiked the uh, the Camino de Santiago in fun. Spain. That yeah. was my big, that's a 500-mile yeah. trek across northern Spain. I, and, jumped uh, over the pyramids. You know, so I jumped over the pyramids of Giza a couple of years ago. I kind of feel like I've done did you? enough big things. Yeah, I skydived right into, uh, if you look at my any of my profile photos on any of my social media, it's, it's all it's all me uh, uh, jumping uh, uh, with the pyramids below me. So, yeah, I'm kind of... Uh, I, my my parents want to throw me a party. My girlfriend and my assistant are trying to talk them out of it because I just I just honestly want to do nothing. I just want to <laughs> hang out with my daughter and, and and call it a week, you know. I you know I haven't uh, gone skydiving over the pyramids, but I, last time I was in Hawaii, I was there uh, speaking and uh, had a couple days that I'd booked extra while I was there. And I decided I'm gonna go uh, over on the North Shore on Oahu and and go skydiving. And I'm not fully licensed. I still have to do tandem. And so we get up and I'm talking to the guy, the instructor on the way up. And I had shared to them that I'd, I'd been several times and uh, I had a powered paraglider and I was pretty comfortable. And he goes, oh, you know, that's cool, man. You know, let's do some tricks on the way out. And uh, I'm like, oh, OK. It's so, <laughs> so stupidest thing you ever we go done. and we're. Oh man, we're we're tumbling down and you know going you know doing all these learn? crazy things. What did we learn? Today? Oh, <laughs> I uh, I landed. I I I held everything in, <laughs> but we landed and I just sat in my car for about an hour before I could drive. <laughs> just did not feel good. That's funny. It was such a mistake. Yeah, such I. A uh... mistake. You know, I'm one of those skydivers that loves to jump and, and I'm happy to jump and just flail around the air and land. I don't need to do, you know, I was like, oh, it's so dangerous. I'm like, I'm the world's most boring skydiver. I don't need to do special tricks. I don't need to swoop. I don't need to, you know, whatever. I'm happy to jump, flail on like, because for me, it's it's the whole purpose of skydiving is a brain reboot. I mean, my ADHD um, goes back to manageable levels when I skydive. Same thing when I when I run, when I exercise, when I when I uh, do Ironman, whatever. It's, it's all about um, making my ADHD work for me. And so skydiving is, is one of the ways I do that. Why is there, what, is what there something making it work for you? Yeah. What so, happens? So I'm a believer that, that, um, ADHD is a gift, not a curse. And I, I host actually the number one podcast on iTunes about that called faster than normal. And, uh, I also written a number one bestselling book called faster than normal about that premise that, that ADHD simply means having a faster brain. And if you understand how to drive that faster brain, um, you can get tremendous amounts more done. You can get hours back in your day. The problem was growing up for me, ADHD didn't exist. What existed was sit down and you're disrupting the class disease. And so, um, you know, it took well into my mid thirties until I got diagnosed and realized, holy shit, all the things that I've been doing that got me in trouble, that broke up, broke up my relationships, that got me fired before I started my own companies. All that stuff was, was me working differently than other people were used to, or studying differently or learning differently or acting differently. And, um, you know, a lot of times in this world, uh, you know, the, the motto is, uh, if you're different, that's wrong. And, and I yeah. sort of uh, rebelled against that. And, and so my childhood, you know, growing up, school and all, sucked ass. I, mean, anyway, I went to high school performing arts, the famous school. That saved me because, you know, everyone was a weirdo there. But, um, you know, junior high, college, all that was really tough. And, and it wasn't until I realized, 
like, you know, for instance, ADHD means you have 25% less dopamine in your system, less monoamine inhibitors in your system. Dopamine is the, is the focus chemical. It's what lets you sit there and focus on. And so on shit that I loved, English, science, whatever, you know, I totally focused because I was producing dopamine. The stuff that I hated, math, I wouldn't. And so I'd sit there and, and you know, I'd, I'd turn into the class clown. I'd make the kids laugh. But I didn't realize at the time yeah. when I made the kids laugh, what did that do? <laughs> that gave me a dopamine hit. I was literally doing that to learn till I could sit down and learn, right? But, you know, you don't know that when you're 14 or 15. So you just, you just getting in trouble. You know, Peter needs to sit down and pay attention in class. And so it wasn't until my mid thirties, I realized that everything I'd done, started companies, sold companies, um, you know, uh, uh, get up at three in the morning to go for a run, all this stuff I was doing was self-medicating. And once I realized that, holy shit, I can change everything. I can own everything. And so skydiving is, is a perfect example of that. Um, when I land, um, I'm high as a kite. I, I'm, 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 I had a, I dated a woman once who was a, a She's getting her second PhD, which right there tells you we shouldn't have been dating, but getting her second PhD in, uh, in uh, neurobio, some oh shit, I don't know. And um, she basically, she, she told me that her job, she was at Rutgers, her job was feeding, feeding cocaine to rats. I'm like, so the government just gives you cocaine? She's like, yes, and no, you're not. I'm like, okay, I had to ask. But, um, <laughs> so she says, uh, she says, I want to take your blood. So she took my blood one morning when, when I woke up, and then we drove to the drop zone. She took my blood again on the ground. She took my blood after I landed again on the ground. And she said the difference was palpable. She goes, when you landed, you were half a molecule away from a, a full-blown coke addict. And she goes, There's, it makes perfect sense because the, you know, your body releases so much dopamine, adrenaline, and serotonin to keep you alive while you're jumping. And that stuff doesn't just fade away. That you have to, that has to t drip out over time. It doesn't just stop. So when I land, I'm more focused than I've ever been in my life. I drop my parachute. I put, grab, I sit in the corner of the, the drop zone in the hangar. I grab my laptop and I'll write 10,000 words in 30 minutes. You know, I'll, um, same thing when I'm, you know, I, I wrote my last two bestsellers on airplanes. I, I, I flew to Tokyo and back, not because I needed to go to Tokyo, because I needed to write. 14 hours each way in a controlled environment where nothing can get me, nothing can interrupt me, allows my hyperfocus to kick in. And so I will work, you know, I work, I fly 14 hours to Tokyo, write half the book, go to the lounge, take a shower, not even clear customs, have a cup of coffee, get back on the same plane, same seat two hours later, write chapter six through 10 on the way back, land with the book. Um, understanding how your brain works and understanding also that, that like most entrepreneurs, but especially like everyone with ADD or ADHD, um, I only have two speeds and I, only two speeds. I have namaste and I'll cut a bitch and there's no there's no middle ground right it's like uh and so when i when i became a single dad you know my daughter would be like i want pizza so i'd order pizza and she'd have a slice and i'd have seven slices and i'm like okay this is shit that has to change so you know we go out for pizza now or we, we go out and we buy two slices and bring them back we don't you know there's no such thing in my world as leftover pizza um and <laughs> john and i had a extra large pizza the other day and sean said you know Every time we do this, we eat however much pizza yeah. there is. Yeah, I don't stop eating when I'm full. I stop eating when I hate myself. And it, it's the it's yeah. the it's the premise <laughs> that um, so 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 I go back to I constantly go back to the movie War Games, um, one of my favorite movies, and has one of the best lines for someone with a neurodiverse brain. Um, interesting game. The only winning move is not to play. Um, I very very rarely drink. I don't drink outside ever. I don't drink at restaurants. I don't drink at bars. Um, if I am going to drink, which is maybe four times a year, I'll drink uh, for a specific reason with a friend in my apartment and we will have a bottle of whatever and we will drink it. And when it's over, when it's done, we go to sleep, you know, or we, we don't drink anymore because, because again, I'm not trying to get drunk. I don't believe I'm an alcoholic per se, but I'm not going to have one drink. I'm going to have six drinks because they're there. Same reason with pizza. And so you just learn to be aware of yourself and learn, um, 
sort of how to put these rules into play, um, I get up sometimes as early as 3.30 in the morning to exercise uh, before my daughter wakes up so I can get an hour or two on the Peloton or run or whatever. So I don't interfere with my daughter's life. So I'm focused on her when she wakes up. And by that time, again, an hour and a half on the Peloton, two hours on the Peloton, all the, all the chemicals are in my brain and I'm, I'm focused and I can focus on her. And she's, she knows it at eight years old. She knows daddy, you, you weren't on your bike today. I'm like, how do you know you're not as happy? Like she gets it. And so it really is about understanding yourself and, and understanding sort of what works for you and what makes things what makes you the best you can be in all scenarios. And, you know, do, do you I, find that our, our ADHD and alcoholism, is there a high correlation there? There's a high correlation between neurodiversity and alcoholism. Yes. Um, and again, okay. it's because, you know, alcohol delivers dopamine, cocaine delivers dopamine. Um, you know, you look at, I think there was a stat 60, 68% of all men uh, currently in prison have undiagnosed ADHD. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a, it's one thing when you're normal, when you're neuro, when you're a neurotypical brain, you know, it's that, it's that joke that you put a hundred guys in a room, give them all cocaine, 90 of them come out, that was fun. One guy be like, I need more of that shit. You know, and that was, yeah. that was me when I started skydiving as well. You know, I, 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 my first job was I organized 150 people. I was running my PR firm and as a publicity stunt, I took 150 CEOs skydiving and, um, in the summer of 2000, we called it Web Dive 2000. And 149 of them had a great time and they thought it was awesome and they talked about it. I went back and got certified. You know, it's like, I need more of that, whatever that is. And again, didn't know it at the time, but that was, um, so yeah, it's a so very- So why does, why, does, why does the increased dopamine rush, whether that's from alcohol, uh, drugs, uh, something like skydiving, could be any number of things. Why is that helpful for somebody with ADHD? Because when you have ADHD, you have about 25% less dopamine in your brain, which means that normal acts where you have to focus, concentrate, be present are sometimes a little harder. And we live in a society where the average attention span is 2.7 seconds to begin with. Um, that's not a, that's not a made up stat. It's a real stat. 2.7 seconds um, before something else uh, grabs your attention. And so if you're ever, if you're focused, if, if every 2.7 seconds, you have to look back and focus on something or, or, or remind yourself to stay present. Oh, I'm talking to my girlfriend. I, she, what she's saying is important. Don't look at your phone. Don't look at your watch. Don't look at yeah. the helicopter out the, out, the, out the window. You know, when you have less, normally your a normal person's brain says, oh, you need to focus here. She's talking about something that you should probably pay attention to. Here's some dopamine, right? To do that. Um, my brain doesn't do that. My brain gives me less. And so it is harder to focus to begin with. Um, on the flip side of that, it's also the kind of brain that after a workout, I might decide today is a perfect day to grab the car. I live in Manhattan, grab the car, go to her house in Jersey and surprise her with a dozen roses at 9.30 in the morning on a Tuesday because it's Tuesday. You know, that's the, the, the all or nothing aspect of, of my brain. I might, you know, she, she jokes, um, she was telling me something that she had a, she had a come into the city for a meeting a couple of weeks ago. And, and if she, I had, she had to bring me something anyway. And she's like, yeah, I can just, I can bring it to you. Um, and I'll stop by your apartment. I'm happy to, you know, I'll do that for you as a, as a favor. That way you don't have to come to the city and get it, come to Jersey this weekend and get it. I went, and it was clear that I wasn't paying attention. I went, oh yeah, that sounds great. I'm happy to do it. She goes, no, I'm happy to do it for you. Pay attention. You know, and <laughs> she understands, she understands the way my brain works, but it is, it is definitely, 
you know, and she understands how, how my brain works. And, and, and she also understands the things I have to do to make sure that I am the best I can be for her. Um, you know, the, the, the premise of, um, uh, we might, we took a vacation, we take vacations and I'm still up at 4am, right? I might, I might sleep in a half an hour, 40 minutes, but I'll get up. I'll be at the gym before five, no matter what, no matter where we are, no matter how long we're out the night before, because I want to be the best I can be. And, and I know that, um, short of medication, which I have a prescription. I just don't, I just don't take it that often because I have other ways of getting the chemicals I need. Um, right. And also, you know, right. I have a ridiculous reactive brain. If I, I take the lowest dosage of an ADHD medication, if I, if I take it any later than like three 30 in the morning, I'm up all night the next day. So it's like, it's just easier to, to find other ways to take it. But, you know, so, so yeah, having someone who, who, who understands that, um, is, is a tremendous gift, but, um, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, I really, I really believe that the yeah. majority, if not all of my success has come because of it, not, not in spite of it. What's your thoughts on, on medicating it with pharmaceutical? Um, and that, that seems to be at one point, that was the only solution available for a lot of people. And I'd, I'm very interested to hear what you think about it. I've actually written some, uh, just petting the dog. I've written some, um, some op-eds on this, uh, New York Post, the Times, that I, I, I am not anti-med, but I do not believe that medication is, should be the first line of defense. We're putting five-year-olds, yeah. we're putting five-year-olds on ADHD meds. And let's be honest, what ADHD meds are, they are, um, they're speed, right? Yes. We're putting five-year-olds on speed because they're acting in a lot of situations, in a lot of instances, a lot of cases, like they're five. Right, they're acting like they're five years old, and and you know, in, little Johnny gets squirmy when you try to lay him down for a nap because his brain's going 100 miles an hour. You know, maybe there are alternatives to putting little Johnny on speed at five years old. Um, like I said, I have a prescription, and every once in a while, I'll take it when I know. Um, you know, my, my assistant schedules like twice twice a month. She'll schedule what she calls horrible meeting days, and and those are days where I just I have to sit down and I'm going to have me like five meetings over the course of the day with people I don't necessarily want to meet with or whatever, busy work or receipt days where she says, look, you have six speeches you've given, you have expenses for all six of them. If you don't get me the receipts or whatever, you know, uh, you're not going to get paid. So, okay. That's a day where I will take a pill first thing in the morning, just so I'm able to do that. And, um, do I believe that meds are inherently bad? No, I do not, but I don't believe they should be the first line of defense. What, instead of putting little Johnny on meds at five years old, maybe, uh, you know, he currently, he wakes up, currently he wakes up, he takes a pill, he sits down in front of the TV and has two bowls of chocolate frosted sugar bombs and then gets driven to school. Um, no wonder he's crashing by 1030, right? No wonder he's high as, high, high as a kite for the first two hours and then crashing. What if instead, um, little Johnny woke up and we, little Johnny and his mom or his dad or whatever, ran around the block for a couple of, you know, 20 minutes, or just did yeah. some fun exercise, some guitar hero, whatever. Um, and then instead of two bowls of chocolate frosted sugar bombs, little Johnny had a couple of hard boiled eggs, um, maybe some, some protein, you know, some fruit. And look, I know it's not easy. I know what it's like to get my, my, my eight-year-old out the door. Um, and I'm practically having to force feed her shit that, that I know she, you know, she'd much rather have a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch, but you know, on the flip side, you're going to have an egg and you're going to have some bacon because you need the protein and I don't want you falling asleep at 11 o'clock in the morning after your sugar high wears off. And so, um, it's not easy and I get that. And I'm not, I'm not blaming the parents for that at all, but I, the problem I believe can be traced back to the fact that the schools, um, teachers are, are having to do 10 times more with five times less. And, um, it is, it is very difficult for a teacher in a class of 30 kids in a public school to adapt just one child who's different. 
right? And they're shortening these recess times. Yeah, as that's well. the thing. Like, there was a there was a I interviewed <laughs> someone on my podcast, a professor in Texas, who did a study. She took over a a, a school, and they were getting twenty minutes a day of recess, and she upped that to sixty minutes, twenty or twenty minutes three times a day, sixty minutes, and changed the lunch and the breakfast from um, like 85% carbs to like something like 25% carbs and 60% protein and fats, whatever. Um, she saw a 20%, 20, I, I might screw up the numbers, it's been a couple of years, 27% decrease in boys acting out. And she saw a marked 31% increase in girls volunteering to give information or volunteering to raise their hand and answer questions in class. So they're massive, massive numbers. And, you know, it's, but there's really very little funding for that. There's a lot more funding for this pill, right? Yeah, we so, want easy solution. Right. It's, it, you know, okay, I, you know, you're going to have a heart attack if you don't lose weight. Oh my God, doctor, what do I do? 20 minutes of diet and exercise, you know, change your diet and exercise 20 minutes a day. Oh. How about a pill? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I, one of the greatest quotes <laughs> I ever heard in my life years ago, um, God, years and years ago, now that I think about it, like over 30 years ago, um, a headache is not a sign of an aspirin deficiency, right? And I've always loved that quote, right? You know, if you're trying desperately to lose those last 20 pounds, which I always am, and I'm, you know, this is shit, it's not easy, right? But on the flip side, I've also been 50 pounds heavier than I am right now. And, and you make, you're trying to lose those last 20 pounds, you, you make sacrifices for what's important to you. Um, I run a mastermind group and, and every once in a while, you know, someone will quit and uh, no, happens right this turn and i always ask them you know hey you want to tell us what tell us why you're leaving i always on the time <sighs> okay well that's actually bullshit um because yeah. you do you don't have the desire and that's fine i have no problem with the ma my mastermind not being the most important thing in your life but own that right don't sit there and say i don't have the time because you have the same amount of time that i do that this dog does that that beyonce does right? How you utilize that time. You know, if I want to get up at 3.30 in the morning and get on the Peloton for two hours and go for a run, if you Google me, I'm the guy that got arrested for exercising in Central Park, quote unquote, before it opened. Cop pulled me over. I was two miles on a 10 mile run. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, giving hand drops for crack. Running. What the yeah. f*** do you think I'm doing? <laughs> Turns out giving hand drops for crack is the wrong answer to say to a cop ever. Um, but uh, long story short, if I want to go for that early morning run so that I'm a better person, Something has to give. So honestly, my daughter is her bedtime's eight o'clock. I'm out by eight thirty every night, and I don't miss it. And you know, if you want to stay up till one in the morning, browsing Facebook or Instagram or or watching Netflix, that's fine. I'm not judging you for that. I'm judging you if you see me post in my Instagram story my morning run route. And you go, God, I wish I could do that. Bitch, you can. Here's what you have to give up. <laughs> Right. That's what I'm judging you for. It's just like, I, you know, you do you, but own it. It's a lot more uncomfortable to own it, though, because that means that we've got to be honest with ourselves. Of course. If I'm going to own it. World. Yeah, I, I, I would much rather lie to myself and pretend like I could accomplish all these things. If only if only I had the time. And let's let's take it. Let's be honest about it. Do you honestly think that I want to get up every single morning at 3 30, 4 o'clock in the morning and work out? No. Um, and there are days that I don't, right? I pay for that, but there are days that I don't. But on the flip side, um, I try to make it as easy as possible. I fall asleep in my gym clothes. I fall asleep in a pair of bike shorts and a t shirt. I wake up in the morning, I strap on a heart rate monitor and my socks. My shoes are attached to the bike. 
I'm, I'm, the bike is six inches from my bed, right? Before I'm even awake and aware of what I'm doing, I'm pedaling. And once you're pedaling, you're not going to quit. The, the, the downside, um, you know, I've had to explain that in the past to, to, to women who, you know, might be coming over for the first time, like, Hey, I'm coming to bed. I'm just putting on my shorts, putting on your shorts. Yeah. <laughs> long story. But, um, you know, it's, it's the, if I had to think about exercising in the evening, there's no way in God's green earth I'd ever do it. I'd be walking home from the, from, from the office or walking, walking, my, you know, I'd stand up in my apartment. Okay. I'm gonna go to the gym now. Oh, you know, there's a, there's an asteroid orbiting Pluto, you know, just to be safe. I think I'm going to skip this workout. You never know, right? It's like, I will come up with a reason to quit. So, so if I wake up first thing in the morning, I don't have to think about it. And that just makes life so much easier. Get it done. So, so I have a, I have a question for you. So one of the things we want to accomplish is looking at defeating bad decision-making by, you know, pulling sort of the, the collective wisdom from people from a lot of different walks of life. And, and this is, you know, fascinating. And so what I'm hearing is that one of the things you can do is to increase dopamine if you have ADHD, I think it'd be helpful either way. But what decisions do you have to make to to be able to do that on a systematic basis? It sounds like this exercise. I mean, you can't go skydiving every day. No, I can't. But right. I can take the elevator down to the lobby and walk back up to the 60th floor. Or I can take the elevator to 40 and walk up back to the 60th floor. Right? So those 20, those 20 flights are going to give me the same hit. Right. I can if I'm in, if I'm outside of a meeting in an office somewhere, I can find a corner and drop for 50 pushups or 20 jumping jacks or something. It does not take right. much to increase that hit in your brain. It really doesn't. It takes very, very little. You could do it. I know people who do it with deep breathing. Um, so when you you talked about isolating yourself on a flight to Tokyo so mm-hmm. you could write. But but doesn't that run counter to the dopamine rush that you're trying? How are you getting a dopamine rush and allow yourself it's, it's to not, focus not a, when you well, isolate? Focus, hyper, so one of the things about ADHD is hyperfocus, right? And if if my brain understands that for the next 14 hours, I'm locked in a metal tube, I can't leave, right? I can't pretty much do anything, right? There's internet, but it's united. And so even that's spotty at best, right? There's nothing I can really do to distract myself. I will enter that zone of hyperfocus where... I mean, think about it. I'm sitting at a desk. I'm, I'm at a desk. I'm plugged in. Um, I have someone bringing me Diet Coke every half hour, right? I stand up every 90 minutes to go pee and, and, and do 10 deep knee bends just to get the blood flowing. And that's it. There's nothing else to do. You lock yourself into that. Into that. The, the problem with ADHD or the, 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 where ADHD is a negative is when I have a job to do or a project to do or something that's on deadline and someone gives me something else to do. Because when you're ADHD, the thing that's in front of you is the most important thing until the next thing that's in front of you, right? Yeah. And so I schedule everything. Everything's in a calendar. This 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 call, you know, is in the calendar. It's locked off. No one else can see it. But so so when I'm at my computer here right now, my phone is on silent and it's flipped over because otherwise, I'm like, ooh, what's that? Ooh, text. You know, we actually get dopamine hits every time we get a text or a reply or a like, which is why it's so addictive. But that's negative. That's a negative hit for me because, oh, someone like my thing. Let's look. It's four hours later and I haven't, you know, I'm still on my phone, right? So on the plane, there's nothing that can distract me. I can go to work. And once you start typing, once you start writing, you'll get into that hyperfocus. The only way hyperfocus fails is if something else takes over. And if there's nothing to take over for 14 hours, that's 14 hours of writing. Yeah. The, the other day I was sitting on my computer and I realized that I had 10 open emails yep. all with about a sentence and a half yep. completed. 
and I went, oh my gosh, what the hell am I doing? Like, I got to finish an email, hit send, and then I, move on to the next one. I do the, for, when, I, when I'm on, when I'm days when I'm working at home and I have that, I do the 45-10-5 rule. Um, 45 minutes of no interruptions. So I, I have no alerts. I never have alerts on my phone. The only alert I have is my, my daughter's number, uh, my parents' number, and, 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 and my daughter's mom's number. Those three numbers can interrupt me. Right. So because, you know, it might be urgent. Everyone else uh, either goes to if they go to voicemail and on my voicemail, it says, please don't leave me a voicemail. Send me a text. So 45 minutes of hard work, 10 minutes of looking at my phone, answering my email, and then five minutes to go to the bathroom, stretch, do uh, uh, spots, whatever. And then I repeat that process. That's how I handle days when I'm in the office. But um, I don't be the key is, you know, your phone can do so much for you, but the key is not to become a slave to it. You have to control your phone, not the other way around. And 99% of the people out there let their phones control them. Right. You oh a beep. It's it's why it's why so many people are idiots and, and text and drive. It's they know that texting and driving is eventually gonna get them killed, but ooh, someone liked my post. Don't mean hit. And that is a really strong addiction. Don't ever question that. Yeah, I have a friend who's a personal injury attorney. He said, you know, texting and driving is twenty five more percent more or twenty five times more dangerous okay. than drunk driving. No question about it. Because you think you're yeah, in control. And yet people do it. Yeah. You know, I, I found uh, Sanger when you and I went and decided to do some, uh, we were creating some content, doing some writing, and and we did sort of w- without knowing, uh, sort of took that advice that you talked about is we went, uh, went to Florida, and you know there, you know at a at a house on the beach, just set. So we were away from our office, away from home distractions, away from you know people we knew, and all we had to do all day is write, and we we got a lot done. So I, I think kind of taking that focus is, yeah, is probably back, super we didn't get anything done. No, we came back and we had all these commitments that we were going to get stuff done. And we didn't do, we didn't, we weren't near as, as productive. Yeah. I, yeah. I find that, 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 so I set up rules for myself. Look, resolutions fail, right? January 1st, I'm going to go to the gym every day. I'm going to lose 50 pounds. No, you're not. Um, because you're going to go for like four days and you're not going to see results and you're going to quit. Um, rituals. However, rituals succeed. The ritual of I'm going to get, I'm going to tell myself, I'm going to force myself to get to sleep by 9 p.m. every day this week, just for one week. And then if I do it, I can do it again next week. But, you know, and over time, if I go, if I go to sleep every day at 9 p.m., I'll be able to get up at 5 a.m. and go to the gym three days a week. So I just want to go to the gym three days a week by going to sleep. That's a ritual. Rituals work. Rituals lead to success over the course of a month, two months, three months. Um, you know, it's why between January 1st and January 15th, you don't want to go to the gym because it's so goddamn crowded and after January 15th, it's empty again. So what I've learned is I put these four life rules into place. And, and when I follow these four life rules, my life is better. When I don't follow these four life rules, uh, my life is not better. And they're very simple. Um, you know, uh, exercise every day. Uh, that's the first rule. Uh, getting enough sleep, sleeping early and, and, and getting up early is, is rule number two. Elimination of choice. Um, I have um, on my, in my closet, I have two sides of my closet and it's actually labeled. Um, the left side says office slash travel and it's t-shirt and jeans. And the right side says um, speaking slash TV and it's button down shirts, jackets and jeans. That's it, my, my, my suits, my gorgeous Yom Kippur suits, my vests, my sweaters, the things that people give me, those are in my daughter's closet. Because if I had to go in every day and say, okay, what should I wear today? Oh my God, this sweater. I remember this sweater. Laura gave me this sweater. God, I haven't talked to Laura in forever. I wonder how she's doing. It's three hours later. I'm naked in the living room on Facebook and I haven't left the house. Right? So you, you put that rule into play. Here's it's, am I, you know, Alexa, what's my schedule today? Okay. You have 
you know, two meetings in an interview. Uh, you're not going on TV. You're not doing whatever. Great. T-shirt and jeans. That's it. So eliminate choice as much as humanly possible. I, I, I intermittent fast, not because it's healthy, which it really is. I mean, you can lose a ton of weight intermittent fasting, but because when I'm walking my daughter to, or when my daughter and I take the scooter to school and I'm scooting back home after I've dropped her off, I probably pass 20 to 30 delis, each one making a better bacon, egg and cheese, salt, pepper, ketchup than the one before. And if I am not on an intermittent fast, I will stop at one of them and I will get two bacon, egg and cheese, lettuce, you know, with salt, pepper, ketchup on a roll. And that's what, seven, 800 calories right there. Um, or I'm on an intermittent fast where my first meal is not till 2 p.m., at which point I'm just about to go pick up my daughter. So I will have a salad prepared and I can eat that on the way. And it's a lot healthier. But again, you eliminate the ability to do something, right? If I look at my clock and it's not between 2 p.m. and 8 p.m., I don't eat right and it's very very simple um again war games you know the only winning move is not to play so i know what time i eat i know what time i don't eat and it it, it breaks it down in like third grade logic but the shit works yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of choices that we have to make that i think people geez excuse me <laughs> people don't even aren't even aware of right like getting dressed in the morning isn't isn't something that people understand is a choice and it's taking energy um, so I, I started wearing nothing but white shirts, blue jackets, and khaki pants. And if it's cold, I have my vest on like that right now. Yep. Easy. I got my work uniform. Yeah, Steve Jobs wore about, the, well, the turtlenecks not to make a statement because it was easy. Grabbed it, put it on, you're done. Yes. Yeah. Get get 10 of the shirts that look exactly identical to one another. 100%. And I'm good. I, you know, I collect yeah. t-shirts. I just, I, people send me t-shirts all the time. I just put one on, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So other, other than those choices, are there, are there higher level choices that you feel like, um, were, were important in making sure that you're able to manage your neurodiversity? So I keep, I keep, I have an assistant, um, who actually took right access away from my calendar about 11 years ago. Um, uh, I was, uh, I went to put something in my calendar about 11 years ago and I, it wouldn't let me. And I emailed her, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, Megan, something's wrong. I can't put anything in my calendar. She's like, um. She's like, no, no, it's, it's working perfectly. You no longer have access to it. Um, you no longer have right access. Yeah. To it. And I'm like, what, why? She goes, you booked two dinners on the same night. I'm like, that's a little overreaction. That's not a big enough. She goes, you booked them on separate continents. You're done. And I have not had, <laughs> I have not had access to my calendar for 11 years. The only access I have is I have, um, I have a Calendly, right? Because Calendly yeah. won't allow you to book something if something's already booked. Right. And I block out certain times. My, my, uh, my, 3 a.m. to uh, 8.30 when I get her to school is blocked out. And my 2.30 to 8 when I'm with her is blocked out. Everything else is open. Um, but yeah, I, I, I am very much about employing people as much as you can for the shit that, that, that you're not good at. Um, I have a wonderful cleaning woman who's currently working in the back there. Uh, she comes once a week. Her name is Bertha. I could easily clean my own apartment. But A, I'm not good at it. B, I know I wouldn't do it. And C, I wouldn't do as good of a job. Right, you figure out the things you're great at, and you do those, and you you try to outsource every other possible conceivable thing. Um, it yeah. turns out, it turns out I'm a really good cook. I had no idea until I started cooking, and so now. Uh, but I, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, I might get her home. We might cook together once a week, but more often than not, I'm gonna cook a bunch of shit on Sunday, put it in the fridge, um, or the freezer, and 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 nuke it when when you know that way we're having healthy dinners. We're not ordering in and eating the entire pizza. Um, again, yeah. I think at the end of the day, it's really just about 
figuring out what works for you and then sticking to it. That's the, that's the worst part. You know, I could come up with the greatest rules in the world. If I don't have the consistency to follow them, um, nothing matters. After my first Ironman, um, I wanted to do a second one and I, I, I got a little complacent. I'm like, ah, I did this already. How hard could it be? Well, it was 104 degrees at the start of a swim and it only got hotter. It was in Louisville, Kentucky. I now, I, I don't even, I won't even fly over Louisville after that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> So I, I got the Iron Man tattoo, the the little the little um, you know tri- yeah, dot, yeah. Uh, M dot on your on your calf, and mine is an upside down M dot, um, shaded out with a right side up M dot shaded the co- the correct colors on the right below it, and on either side of the words consistency and humility. Without consistency and humility, all the plans in the world aren't going to do shit for you. Yeah, especially in Iron Man, there, there's no chance. That there's no chance to accomplish that and to fit, cross the finish line without being diligent and consistent with your training. You can fake an Olympic, you can fake a sprint, you can fake an Olympic. Hell, I, I'm, I'm even in the belief that you could probably, with just minimal work, fake a half, but you're not faking a fall. Yeah. You're not faking a fall. No. No, there's no chance. Yeah, there were the, um, I, I did two Ironmans last year, three weeks apart from each other. Jesus. And yeah. What's wrong with you, too? <laughs> It was, it was psychotic. And, and so the reason that I did it is because I got that reaction from people when I, I accidentally signed up for two, basically. <laughs> I kind of did, I kind of did what you did with the dinners. I was like, oh, I get, they're three weeks apart. And I said, well, I'll just roll with it. I started telling people who had done them before and it was my, they were my first two ever. I had only done a triathlon. <laughs> my first triathlon, <laughs> my first triathlon was six months before that one before the first one. So I was very inexperienced and people started reacting that way, just like you did. And they said, Oh my God, you're crazy. Don't do that. That's horrible for you. And I went, Oh shit, I'm going to do this now. Well, of course you have to, I'm right? definitely doing it now. Soccer. But yeah, you know, so I'm, I'm assuming you've seen the video, the, the very famous video of the, the, the woman talking, the man who's training for an Ironman and the woman who says, you want to have dinner? I can't, I have to go to bed at 6 yeah. PM. I made that. Yes. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. I made that video that is based entirely on conversations I had with an ex-girlfriend while I was training for my first one in Cozumel. And she came down, she watched me race it, and we broke up about three days after. And that video is 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 based on those on those conversations. Like, Oh, that's I, so I funny. had to get up at four in the morning. What the f- what, you're, you're 38 years old. Why the hell do you have to get up at four in the morning? You know, what's an Ironman? You're an idiot. And so, yeah, that, that literally is based on our conversation. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah, I got sent that video by a lot of friends who said, this is you. 100%. Yeah, it, uh, it blew up. Lance Armstrong found it, and he tweeted it out. And this is before we knew he was made of chemicals. Um, so we believed it, and we, we liked it. But yeah, that was he, he, he blew that video up for me. It was very funny. That's hilarious. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, there were, there were a lot of opportunities to, to eliminate choice in that, in that experience. Yeah. Uh, in the triathlon experience, you know, you know I found a, it so helpful. You have to because you know you, you don't. Yeah. You have to do the training. It, it it you can't fake that. I mean, that, and that's my whole thing is like, I have Kona coming up, and and you know Kona's the Ironman wet dream, right? But and two years ago, I was when I started training for it. When I got into for 2020, I was all in, and you know trained my ass off. It was canceled. Trained my ass off again in 21. It was canceled. And I just, I talk about being honest with yourself. I don't know if I have it in me. I mean, I could force myself to do it, but that's not fun. I don't yeah. know if I still have the desire to do six months of 
two a days, three a days sometimes. I, I just don't know. Every fucking weekend for a hundred mile rides. I, I don't know. I mean, I could I yeah. raise the money, so regardless, I helped people, but I might just do a couple of halves with some friends and, and yeah. call it a day. I don't I don't know. I'll make my decision towards the end of this month. I, I don't I don't blame you for uh for changing your, your direction on that. If you do, because it's, I can force myself to do a lot of things. I could not have forced myself no. to train for that. If I didn't have the motivation, if I didn't have that purpose, that drive. <laughs> and that was the thing. I mean, imagine, you know, okay, one year they postponed it, of course, but, and then they tell you you can have the second year. And so you go yeah. back in full force and to have it pulled out for you again, I just, eh, I don't know. That's, that's so hard. No, I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine. I don't know the answer yet. We'll see. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, I've, a lot of the things that you were sharing, I feel like, um, I, I wish I could have heard when I was 14 and, and you know, struggling with my own ADHD, um, a lot worse than I am now. Um, but even today, I feel like I learned so much that I can apply my own life um and make better decisions so thank you my pleasure i love talking about this stuff you know like i said i'm at i'm at peter shankman on all of the socials and i encourage people to reach out i, I love talking about this I, I you know at the end of the day i get emails all the time from people who have read faster than normal and who have said that it helped them and that to me is is, is worth more than anything so i just i want to prevent if i can prevent some kids from having the same junior high school and high school experience that i had i i you know between that and my daughter, I've, I've left some good on this earth. I look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, I'm, I have the same opinion you do singers that I wish I had heard this when I was young. I remember, uh, I'm a little bit older than you are Peter, but I remember, uh, when I was growing up, the way that schools dealt with, uh, people who probably had ADHD back then, but it was undiagnosed was just to, to yell at them. Yeah. And tell them to sit down and, and shut up and, and focus. And, and, and if they didn't, then you got sent to the principal's office. And, and so they hit you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so, I remember getting sent to the principal's office to get hit because I couldn't focus. <laughs> Making jokes or trying to get that, oh. you know, and I didn't know it at the time, obviously, but trying to get that dopamine exactly hit. That's what you were looking for. Right? You were, the irony. Yeah. I'm trying to get some kind of hit. And I, student, you're getting smacked in the head because I, you were trying to become a better student. I totally get it. I, I couldn't take drugs, so I had to, you know, make a joke or something and get people to laugh, and uh, that got me sent to go get hit. But uh, and we didn't we didn't have any drugs that uh, we even gave kids back then. I'm not advocating that necessarily. But, yeah, I got uh, wrapped but, up in the in the give kids drugs generation. Oh, yeah. then then the, you know the next you know, and then when I was a parent, you know what we did is we just said, oh, just give them some drugs. Yeah. You know, I was I was at a uh, I was at a meeting the other day. And there was a Hindu priest talking to us uh, named uh, Dan Dapani. I don't know if you've heard. He's got some videos out of him. Uh, you can you can find him. So Dan Dapani said he he uh, was talking about focus, uh, the very the very thing you were talking about earlier. And he pulled some guy. He he spoke to this guy in the in the at the table next to me, and he said, uh, "Do you do you play the piano?" And the guy kind of looked at him strange. He said, "No, I I don't play the piano." And so he, he yelled at the guy. He said, play the piano. And he yelled at him. And he goes, now can you play the piano? He goes, no. He goes, and he yelled at him again. Just play the piano. And he yelled at him, play the piano. And he goes, well, I guess that didn't work. We should give you drugs. 
Maybe that will help you. (laughs) And he goes, this is what we do to kids. We yell at them to focus. And if they don't focus, we give them drugs. And nobody ever stops to think, maybe we should learn to teach them how to play the piano. Maybe we should learn to teach them how to focus. And, you know, I think the things that you were talking about, about scheduling that focus time and consciously making decisions to remove distractions like notifications and uh, eliminate choices. I think those are, those are fantastic. I mean, I uh, see it. I see it in my daughter. I see it in my daughter. You know, we, we go out, um, uh, she'll get up. She usually gets up. She's a pretty good morning person for being eight years old, but you know, I get her up by like six 15. We leave the house at around eight. I get her up at six 15 and right behind me, you probably can't see it. I have a, I have a rowing machine and, um, I'll just have her do 15 minutes in a row when she wakes first thing when she wakes up and she, she, you know, we'll talk while she's doing it. She's not going super hard or super fast or whatever, but it's enough movement to wake up her brain and to shift her brain into out of sleep mode and into day mode. Um, Mm. and then we have breakfast and we head over to the subway or we take the scooter down to school or whatever. And there's a, a, you can see a a physical difference, right. In, in, in her focus and her mentality. And, you know, I didn't have it as a kid. I woke up, dragged my ass to the kitchen table and got a ride to school. Um, and I I blame my parents who the the hell knew. Right. So, but I'm just seeing the difference that little 15 minutes of exercise can make in in a kid. And, and it's, it's massive. It's just massive. Fantastic. Well, I'm I'm thrilled thank to be you thank again. you guys. Really. Uh at Peter Shankman, and hey, everyone's thank welcome you, to reach Peter. out. I'm always happy to chat more about this. Yeah. Thank absolutely. you, Peter. All right. Thank you so much Appreciate for your it. time. My pleasure. So my takeaways from our discussion with uh, Peter Shankman, uh, you know, when we started looking at doing this podcast around decision making. My expectation was really that we would come up with frameworks and decision trees and uh, pros and cons lists and and those types of things. And what I've found is that it's completely the opposite. It's that one of the ways you make better decisions is to reduce the amount of decisions you make. Uh, And that's one of the things he mentioned when he was talking about his his rules for life. You know, exercise daily because it increases the uh, the dopamine, I, I think whether you're ADHD and need to, to replace that 25% don't mean that you're missing or, or anybody else. I think that exercising daily, getting plenty of sleep so you're recharged and refreshed and then eliminating choices. And he had talked about uh, developing rituals. Uh, and, and this keeps coming up in, uh, in our discussions about having those rituals, whether that's getting up in the morning and exercising or having the same thing for breakfast or organizing your clothes differently or those types of things. Uh, and so those were the things I got from uh, from our discussion with him was was around making better decisions by eliminating the number of decisions you make. Yeah, I think that was, uh, was really wise and um, we can all benefit from implementing that more in our own life. My other takeaway is, you know, Peter does a lot of things that are very unique that help him make better choices, that help him do things um, at the level that he wants to execute on. And the reality is each of us are a little bit different and we have to find what works for us. The trick is that we have to find what actually improves our decision making, not find the things that are comfortable. And I think a lot of times we can lie to ourselves and say, oh, well, I'm just not a morning person. It's not good for me to wake up. 
well, are you not a morning person? Or do you not like waking up early because you scroll on your phone, on Instagram and Facebook till 1 a.m. every day? Right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you would be better off by doing things a little bit differently. I think a lot of times we either don't focus on what our unique person needs or we fall into patterns of behavior that prioritize comfort and we lie to ourselves and say, oh, that's what I need. No, yeah. I don't necessarily always need what's comfortable. Sometimes I do need to wake up at 3.30 and hit the bike like Peter talked about. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Thanks for listening to this episode of Decidedly. I hope you learned something. I know I did. If you thought our show was five-star worthy, please check us out on iTunes and give us a five-star review. It really helps out a lot, helps people find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. Check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at decidedlypodcast. Until next time, I'm Sanger Smith with Sean Smith. This is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.